0: well i am so thankful for the opportunity to worship with all of you this weekend to dive into the word together i'm so thankful for this place hume lake and one of the things i love about hume most is the way it partners with local churches the vision of hume is not to be just a ministry set apart from local churches but truly a para church ministry and alongside the local church ministry Encouraging it. I would not be enthusiastic about coming up here and doing what we do this weekend if what we do this weekend isn't a continuation of what's already going on in our lives at home in our local churches and will continue to be after this. We will be like coals taken out of a fire and and it will go out. We won't stay on fire for Jesus if we don't stay with other people who are following him as well. And so As we think about what we've learned this weekend and what God's been doing in our lives, it's so important to translate that into the daily. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, the hardest thing about the Christian life is it's so daily. And there's a dailiness to it. Other religions, you know, you you take a pilgrimage to Mecca or you climb the mountain and see the wise man and you attain nirvana or enlightenment and you've arrived. The Christian life has a dailiness to it a working out of kingdom realities in the midst of everyday life, of going to work and sitting in traffic and changing diapers and loving your wife and kids and being a good neighbor and going through the difficulties of life, following Christ and seeking to glorify him in the mundane things. And so we've got to be thinking about translating what God's doing here into our daily lives down there when it just doesn't feel as intense and as exciting. And And I I just love the opportunity we have. So we've talked this week and about what it means to be a child of God, what it really means to be a Christian man. And when we realize what Jesus has done for us, that we're forgiven, that we're justified, that we're adopted... That frees us to lead lives of integrity, as we saw last night, grounded in fear of the Lord, a healthy fear of the Lord, and live lives of integrity. What I want to think about in our last time together here is that we not only get to be children of God who live lives in, of integrity, not perfection, but integrity, that we can look at our lives and say, Yes, the pattern of my life is one of integrity, that I, I'm a man who is living what I say I believe. Again, not perfectly, but in a way that is is an example. And what I wanna talk about this morning is this amazing privilege that out of our identity in Christ and out of our integrity of lives, we are able to take initiative in relationships. Just like I have seen so many of you this weekend beautifully move toward each other and pray for each other and lay hands on each other and care for each other and encourage one another. It is so obvious so many of you have a view of the Christian life as not just something about your own growth, but your growth then being translated into helping other people grow. We were never created to grow in independence, to grow as individuals. We were created to grow as a people, helping each other grow in this way. And again, this wars against some some male instincts to be independent and an individual and and not need people. That's just not true. There's no such thing as a self-made man. First of all, God made us, and then he uses other people to make us into the people he wants us to be. And so I would love it if you guys would be able to to grab a hold of this idea that we not only get to be children of God, but we get to be ministers of the gospel. Not when we arrive at some place of perfection, but in the midst of our growth in the midst of our struggles we prayed this morning for the guys who trusted christ for the first time last night that they would be ministering that they would already be taking what they've experienced this weekend home and become ministers yes with still lots to learn and lots to grow but but to be ministers the gospel you know I've been around Christians a long time, and there are things that have broken my heart through the years that, that God's people have experienced and the sin that can grab a hold of our lives. But I have watched God's people be incredible in the way they care for others and live out the gospel. I, I will never forget, there was a man in our church, and, and Jeff was one of the most godly men I've ever known. He was a deacon in our church, incredibly servant-hearted, an amazing man, father of five. Jeff, Jeff was a nurse, and when he graduated from Biola with his nursing degree, male nurses are in high demand. So basically, a male nurse can, can choose anywhere he wants to work because they can lift people and they can do all sorts of things, and so, so they're in high demand. And Jeff could have worked anywhere he wanted. He could have gotten a lucrative job, but he decided to work with, with the poor, and and do visitations of people who are low income and and work for the state and and take the lowest paying nursing job he could because he just wanted to help people in great need and an amazing father an amazing husband and he was an incredible man and, and jeff was diagnosed with leukemia and not even two years later jeff died and left behind a wife and five kids and I will never forget the morning he died I got a call at 3 a.m. when he died and I was told and that morning we were supposed to have a men's breakfast where I was supposed to teach on the holiness of God and Jeff died and so I I got on the phone that morning at at 5 a.m. with the other guys planning this men's breakfast at our church and I said what should we do you know Jeff was a key part of our men's ministry and And they said, well, let's go ahead. Let's talk about the holiness of God. And so when I got up to teach, I said, guys, let's reflect on our brother Jeff's life. And let's think about ways the holiness of God affected him and the way he then lived because of it. And we heard testimonies of the way Jeff loved and served people in incredible ways. And when we were done with that, we had a time of worship, thinking about where Jeff was, worshiping Jesus. And then when when that was finished, I turned to these guys, there were about 200 men in this room, and I said, guys... As of 3 a.m. today, we have a new widow in our church. And we have five kids who don't have a dad anymore. And we as the men of this church need to step up. We'll never take Jeff's place, but we need to step up and do everything we can to provide, provide the care of a husband who's not here anymore and a father who's not here anymore and i gotta tell you i so similar to what i'm looking at now this is all you know hypothetical in your head but but that morning i was looking at the faces of these guys and they were ready to go to war (laughs) it was unbelievable they were just like let's go after two days we had to call the guys and say hey guys just give them some space <laughs> because they were on the job. And here's, here's the beautiful thing. Um, Leah, Jeff's wife, yeah, it was beautiful. Leah's wife was able, with Jeff's insurance, but they didn't have any money. They lived in this little apartment with these five kids. And, uh, but when Jeff died, he had a life insurance policy, and Leah was able to buy this, this very nice home right across the street from our, our house. And and so we were able to care for them, but guys, through through the living room window of our house, we had a front row seat to the people of God, especially the men of our church, loving this widow and her five kids in amazing ways. This house needed a lot of work. Leah didn't have to do any of it. The men in our church who had different abilities, the men who didn't, and they came over, and every day I would see God's people showing up at this house, painting and doing plumbing and doing electrical. One of her biggest requests was her son Silas always used to do projects with, her dad, with his dad, and she said, could one of you just take Silas under your wing and, and include him on the work around the house? And so Gil, this grandfather in our church, he said, I'll, I'll do that. And, and she said, and really don't plan to get barely any work done. Just just include Silas in this, right? And so Gil did, and I would see Gil show up almost every day, and Silas would run out and meet Gil, this, this grandfather figure in his life, and, and they would work on a project together. It was amazing, guys. And I'd see, a, uh, for years, I'd see f- five women show up on, early on Saturday morning and clean Leah's house. Every time somebody says, you know, Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. I think of my living room window and what I saw for years going on across the street, the people of God just showing up and being ministers of the gospel and and praying for Leah and praying for those kids and helping to raise those kids. The people of God have an amazing opportunity to be ministers to each other. And that's what I want to call us to, to be ministers of the gospel. There are days I feel like I'm such a mess, and I'm so weak, and I have so many areas I have to grow, that it would be easy for me to give myself permission to just go off duty as a minister. But as I've, through the years, been more and more committed to care for the people of God, and take my, my opportunity, my privilege as a minister seriously, I have started to become more and more aware of the huge, desperate needs among God's people. Even even this weekend, I've become aware of so many of the needs in so many of your lives. And guys, we need all hands on deck. We can't leave it to, to you know, the, the people who have the title of pastor or have some seminary degree, or get a paycheck for being ministers. That's not the way the Bible talks about ministers. It's not primarily this vocation you get paid for, or this thing you get when you get some degree. Every Christian, I said, is not only a saint, but every Christian's a minister. Every one of us has the incredible privilege of being ministers of a new covenant. And God will enable you to minister to people in unique ways that no one else is able to minister. Because of your background, because of your experiences, because of the failures in your life, because of the things you've gone through. They don't, they don't become deficiencies, they actually become opportunities where you're able to serve, sometimes out of your weakness. And so we have got to grab a hold of our privilege, especially as men, especially as men who I believe have an ultimate responsibility in our relationships to take initiative. to to provide and protect you know I want my boys to to view their sisters and their mom and girls and women in general very differently than they would if they weren't boys but they're boys they're going to be men they're on their way to being men and I want them to grab a hold of this I remember my son he was he was uh six years old and and we adopted Sam when he was six he had been adopted by a family, and they terminated the adoption. And so it was a 48-hour adoption. And, and Sam had a lot of stuff to work through. But one of the things I wanted him to grab a hold of early was that being a boy, be, and he's a really strong kid. We're not even sure what race Sam is. He's, he was found the day he was born in the eastern mountains of Taiwan in a rural area where the indigenous people live. We don't know what race he is, but we do know he's a strong kid, just so naturally strong. He's the strongest kid at his high school, and He's a sophomore just natural, and and he's really strong, and I keep saying to him, Sam, God made you strong to protect people, especially girls, and and I'll say to him things like, Sam, you know what? If I ever find out that you got in a fight at school, if you hit some kid at school, you're going to be in big trouble, but if I find out that you hit a kid protecting a girl, I'll take you to Dairy Queen. (laughs) (laughs) I, 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 I want... <laughs> um, because I want him to know that, that as, a, as a boy and as a man, he's given, God's given him a particular responsibility to have an instinct to pro- provide and protect and initiate in relationships and not wait around for everybody else to do it. And that's not just punching some kid, protected a girl at school. It, it, means, it means leading in prayer. It means asking people how they're doing. It, it's saying, hey, listen to what I'm learning in the word. It's not complicated to be ministers of the gospel. It's to initiate prayer. It, it, it's to initiate worship like what's happening here last night. It's a beautiful thing. Some of you are, are already grabbing a hold of your natural leadership responsibilities. I, I just want you to look at, at this passage. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 5. For the love of Christ controls us. It's taken over. The love of Christ has invaded our lives and it's taken over. I don't know what's controlled you in your life. Substances can control us. Sex addictions can control us. All kinds of things can control us. But for men of God, the love of Christ controls us, compels us has taken over, overwhelms us, has now enthused us, enthralled us. It's the controlling principle and priority of our lives. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. We don't live for ourselves anymore. We don't wake up in the morning and say, i got to get mine today. We wake up and say, Lord, I'm living for you today, and I know that means living for other people. The love of Christ controls us. Look, Look, he goes on. Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, And gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. We have, fellas, the words of eternal life. We have the message of the good news of Jesus Christ, reconciling sinners to God, and we have the ability to preach that message with our lives as examples and our words of our testimony that lead people to a saving relationship with God. They're dying, literally dying for the good news of Jesus Christ in this world. And we have the words of eternal life. And we need to be more passionate, more enthused, more compelled, more consumed by the message of the gospel that's overtaken our lives and has the ability to set captives free through our witness. That's what we're able to do. Don't minimize it. In your frailty, it's out of our weakness he uses us. Not because we've accomplished all these things and we're impressive. Do you know what the Bible says about Jesus' appearance? That there was nothing in his appearance that would attract us to him. No stately or majesty. It's not about impressive displays of anything. It's about lives that have been taken over by the gospel and now are being lived for the glory of Christ and the good of other people. That's what our lives are about now. Look at this, namely that God was reconciling the world himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Listen to this. Therefore, we are ambassadors, representatives for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I love that Paul is talking to the Corinthians who got some messed up stuff going on in their church. But he's saying, let the gospel be the controlling reality of your life and then move out representing God. You are his primary means of advancing his purposes in this world. We are. And I think about that and I say, Lord, we're a mess. (laughs) I'm a mess. You could have done better. You know, I remember I heard a sermon on the church and it was on the bride of Christ. And the title of the sermon was a guy named Steve Brown. He's got this deep voice. And the sermon, the refrain of the sermon was he just kept saying, the bride is ugly. (laughs) Because we are. The bride is ugly. But then he said, but she's getting better. She's getting better. And and then the final point was in one day she's going to be perfect. And we are, we're ugly. We're working through stuff. It's not because we've arrived that we get to have this ministry, but it's because we're heading in the right direction. The trajectory of our lives, the pattern of our lives, the, 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 the life that we look at is heading in the right direction. And guys, we desperately need men in the church, especially men in the church. Women just seem to, to have this sense of the need to get together. You know, it's not hard to get women to come to women's Bible studies and women prayer times and, and care about missions, but men, you know, we got a lot going on, and we got our thing, and, and we'd rather just sit and watch football for 16 hours a day on the weekend, one game after another, you know, or play video games or whatever it is. It's, it's just amazing how, how we can just live in this world of, of feeling like, you know what, my life doesn't really matter. I worked hard all week. I, I, I Don't expect me to do anything for anybody else. And, and I'm not saying we can't recreate. I'm not saying we can't rest. I may be the best napper you've ever met. I can nap like nobody's business. And I love to play. And Sometimes the most important thing you can do is that when you get home from work, get geared up to just play checkers with your kid. Right? When you, when you feel like just vegging. Imagine that term, veg. That means... I'm going to act like a vegetable for the next three hours, right? Which contributes nothing to the world. But we have the, I find it so invigorating when I I flip that switch and say, Lord, use me. Use me. And it, it brings you to life. We are ambassadors, representatives, and then Paul goes right into the appeal, He's saying to the Corinthians, be ambassadors, and then he becomes an ambassador. So we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And that's how we need to be. One of my friends, John, is, is just so naturally a minister. And he met my neighbor, and I had been preaching the gospel to my neighbor for years and inviting her to church. And, and John met her, and, and he just he's so warm, and he was so obviously loving to her. He said, oh, Glenda, it's so good to meet you. And his first question was, he said, have you ever been to our church just right out of the gate. Not, not small. He said, have you ever been to our church? And she said, well, no, Eric's invited me, but I never have. And he said, why not, Glenda? And I thought, that's beautiful. Just enthusiasm. He doesn't say, well, you know, I need to spend three years building bridges. You know, we build a lot of bridges, but we got to start driving stuff across those bridges, right? Uh, we have the words of eternal life. We don't need to get it perfect or perfect. Or, or, have this trust build over time we can just be enthusiastic right and so we get to be ministers in this way living for jesus and for others including our failures taking initiative in relationships being priests that's what we get to be we're not only saints but every christian is a priest did you know that Every Christian is a priest. I think it's a tragedy that saint has become a word just used for a select few in the church, and I think it's a tragedy that priests are just used as a select few. All Christians are priests, and what do priests do? You know, prophets speak on behalf of God. If this is God, they represent God before people. You know what a priest does? A priest represents people before God and says, let's go. Let's go into the presence of God. I'm going, you're coming with me. And that's what we need to start doing. We need to have this mentality that says, I'm heading into the presence of God. I'm heading into deeper relationship with God. Come with me. Follow me as I follow Christ. Do you believe God can work in your life where you have the ability to actually say that to people? Follow me as I follow Christ. Which means we live our lives hoping to see through our lives unsaved people come to relationship with God and save people come to greater maturity in their relationships with God. Making a difference in the way we live by taking initiative, making a difference. Jim Elliot, highly recommend, when I was like 18, I think, I read Shadow of the Almighty, the life and testament of Jim Elliot, this amazing man who was killed on the mission field by the people he was seeking to reach by being speared. By the Aoka Indians, who eventually came to Christ through his wife's ministry after he died. But he died when he was 27, and he's a hero of mine. You know, I, I remember reading this in his, his book about his life. He wrote this as a college student. He said, Father, make of me a crisis man. Bring those eye contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost along a single road, make me a fork that men must turn one way or the other on facing Christ in me. Don't you want to have a life that matters, that makes a difference? You know, I remember so often in my life, I would leave a time with my friends and I'd say, yeah, it was kind of fun, but I don't think it added up to anything of lasting value. Don't be the kind of person who can be with people and nothing meaningful happens. And it's not complicated, it's not hard to do this. It means being an example, seeing yourself as a minister, seeing yourself as a gospel minister, able to be an ambassador of Jesus. Look at, look at how the, seriously the Bible takes this idea of being an example. Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And it's so easy now to say, well, he's the apostle Paul. Of course you follow his examples, but not mine. No, it's throughout the Bible. Look what he says to his young son in the faith who had physical weakness. It seemed he had timidity that he struggled with. He was young and people looked down on him because of it. So he needed encouragement. And look what he says. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe, Timothy. Timothy. Be an example. See yourself as someone people can look to for what it looks like to follow Jesus. Look what he says to Titus. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine dignified. Do you see yourself as an example? Do you see yourself as a leader in whatever sphere of influence God's given you? And the more it's seriously you take that opportunity to be a leader, your sphere of influence will grow. It will increase over time, and God will bless you with spiritual children and people who are more like Jesus because of your influence in their lives. Grab a hold of that amazing privilege. Look what it says in Hebrews Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Notice it doesn't say imitate their style. Imitate their personality, imitate these peripheral things. No, imitate their faith. Remember what their faith was like in following Jesus and imitate it, follow it. Imitation's a weird thing, isn't it? Because we love authenticity, we, being, we love being real. But, but there's something about the Christian life that, that just imitates. I remember I was in this diner in Nebraska, and it was just this... Diner with, with these farmers. It was just this little, it was beautiful. I'm sitting in this diner and this cowboy walks in. He's got spurs and everything. Like I was in the I was in the Costco in Visalia and this guy's walking around in Spurs, and I'm thinking, I ain't in LA anymore. It was just beautiful. This guy's walking around Costco in Spurs. Yeah. Uh, it, but I'm in Nebraska and this guy. Walks in this, and he's got, a, he's got a cowboy hat on. He's got these, these uh, nice jeans on. He's got a flannel shirt. He's got a, a, a handkerchief hanging out of his back pocket. He's got cowboy boots on. And his probably five-year-old son is walking right behind him looking exactly like his dad. Hat. Spurs, boots, hanky, I mean, everything. And he's everything his dad does, he's doing. He's just following and he's standing there. He puts his arm, he's, everything is, and I think that's it. That's, that's what it means to imitate Jesus. To, to be a follower of Jesus means you watch Jesus and you do what he does. And in, in, in the Christian life, that means you, you see somebody who's godly, you see somebody who's following hard after Jesus, and you imitate their faith. That's not being phony. You're not waiting until it's coming naturally. You're not waiting until it's instinctive. You're not waiting until you feel like it. You follow the example, right? It's like learning an instrument or a sport or a skill of any kind. You know, my dad is so mechanically inclined. My brother and my dad got all the mechanical inclination, and I got left with none of it. And, like, I work with my dad, and I'm drilling, and he'll just go, you know, he'll come over and he will just grab my hand because I don't realize it. it's, it's not straight. And, and so I, I watched my dad do stuff. You know, I remember when I was 19, my dad came over to me one time I was painting and he goes, no, 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 son, let me show you. Let me show you how you get that paint. And he's showing me how to dip and he go, I said, I'm 19, I think I know how to paint. And he said, all right, all right. And he walked out. But, but you know, today I've realized I wish my dad was around like he used to be, he lives in Florida, to show me, because, because his pain isn't going on right, right? And, and, I, and he did have the right way to do things, and now I'm under a sink with FaceTime. Dad, what do I do here, right? What's that? How do I get that out of there? And, 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 and I'm not waiting till I'm a natural plumber, right? I'm, I'm following my dad's lead, I'm following his example. We can overvalue this idea of authenticity, where we're not willing to just say, that's what it looks like. And I'm going to do that. And you know, sometimes when you actually commit to doing something, it starts to feel more natural. It starts to feel more instinctive. And that's, that's where we want to go. But very often it begins with imitating. Following examples and imitating faith look how the bible describes this. you shall be to me a kingdom of priests a holy nation imagine what this sounded like to jews in exodus when it was written in exodus here it's saying look you know priests were this select few i dare say not one of us would have qualified to be a priest in the old covenant Let's, let's try it out. Raise your hands. Who wants to be a priest? Raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand. Raise your hand. I'm serious. Raise your hand. Now, put it down if you don't meet one of these qualifications. A priest can have no bald patches of any kind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. A priest can have no deformities of any kind, like this, this finger of mine, I'm out. No deformities, yeah. A priest has to be male. We all qualify for that. Uh, let's just cut to the chase. A priest has to be Jewish. we're out. I don't even need to get to the tribe of Levi. I don't know. Okay. All right. So there are about 30 other qualifications that would have kicked us out. But right in the middle of this focus on priests, who gets to go into the presence of God and say, who's going with me? Look what it says. There's coming a day when you'll be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. All my people will be priests. And that's exactly what happens. Look, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up in a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to our God. That's what God's people are about. They're saying, I'm a priest. I get to go into the holy of holies because of Jesus. I get to boldly approach the throne of grace in confidence because of Jesus who's going with me. You do it through Christ but, but, but people get to that point through his ambassadors, his ministers that we get to be. And so we wanna be men who do this. And I want you to know this, I don't think you grow the way that God wants you to until you take this seriously. The more you see yourself as a minister, the more you will grow. Do you know what it says in Philemon verse six? It says, I pray you'll be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing you have in Christ. Sometimes you don't realize how great something is until you help somebody else understand how great it is. You know what I'm talking about? That, that as you, you, you can see how desperately this person needs Jesus and you see how much more you need Jesus. You can see how, you, you want this person to understand how beautiful and sufficient Jesus is and you understand it better. I remember I was, I was teaching evangelism at Wheaton College and I was teaching this evangelism class and in, in, in this grad class and I had this guy, Joel Davis, in my class and he was an on fire evangelist. He, he had an amazing ministry in the prisons in downtown Chicago. And he was leading five, 10, 15 guys to Jesus every week. And, and I felt like, Joel, you should teach this class. It should not be me. And he had this incredible ministry, and here's Joel giving testimony of doing all the things we're talking about in this class every week. And he was a godly guy, loved Jesus. And I remember telling a faculty member about Joel, who actually was, was an undergrad at Bio, at Wheaton at, at the time, and I was saying, man, this guy Joel, he's an on fire. And he said, wait, 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 you mean Joel Davis, who was an undergrad here who played on the basketball team? And I said, yeah, that's him. He said, we cannot be talking about the same guy. That dude was a complete loser. And I went to Joel and I said, hey, Joel, what happened to you? And he said, oh, I've been talking to somebody from my past, have you? And I said, I said, yeah. I said, yeah, I have. He said, "You know what happened to me? Somebody asked me to teach a 7th grade uh, coach a 7th grade basketball team." That's what happened to me. He said I was a complete phony. He said I don't even think I was a true believer when I was an undergrad in, in college. And he said, "But then somebody asked me to teach this inner city 7th grade uh, coach a 7th grade basketball team, and I looked at these kids. I saw their lives that were a mess, and I knew what they needed was Jesus, and I knew I wasn't following him." So I had a couple options. Tell these kids they needed to follow Jesus when I wasn't, or start following Jesus. (laughs) And then be able to offer them something I actually had. You see, until Joel felt some responsibility for somebody else, it didn't click in his head. And I walk into our congregation. Every Sunday, I walk and I look at those faces. I'm involved in the lives of these people. And there's so much going on. I walk around up here loving getting away, but I can't help but thinking about... Aaron, who had a motorcycle accident this week, and he's, he's, he's holding on a threat of life right now. I can't help thinking of families in crisis and divorce and kids who've run away in our church and, and kids who are just getting pulled into to pornography in a way that that's keep keeping them in prison. And, and I walk in there, and I think, I, just a few of us can't do all this. A few of us can't do it. We need all everybody grabbing a hold of their privilege of being ministers of the gospel. And I want you to know that it doesn't mean you're perfect. I want you to know that one of the best ways you can be an example is in the way you repent. One of the best ways you can be an example is in the way you own your sin. And don't lie about it, and don't equivocate, and don't rationalize and excuse it, but own it. You know what has been one of the best examples we have in the whole Bible? Psalm 51. David repenting of breaking half the Ten Commandments in one sin with Bathsheba. Against you only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You're justified when you judge. I was born in iniquity. He just owns it. You can be an amazing example in the way you confess and repent and own your sin, not just in your past and in an ongoing way. I remember we were reading a children 's Bible to my kids kids one time, and it was um, it was uh, the Cain and Abel story and <laughs> And there were these questions after the Cain and Abel story, after Cain killed his brother, and it was about sin. And the first question I asked my kids, we're sitting on the couch, they're little, we're sitting there. And the first question is, do you think your parents are sinners too? You should have seen my kids. They're like, yes! Yes! It was like, what a stupid question. I'm like... You want to think for like a second before you answer that, that maybe it's possible. They're like, yes. And I thought, man, why did they respond that way? It, was, it bothered me at first, but I thought, you know why they responded that way? They actually know the Bible fairly well. And they've seen us sin lots. And they've heard us repent and ask them for forgiveness for sin. And I've had to say, Sam, I'm sorry, that was sinful anger just now. Sam, I'm sorry, I was sinfully impatient with you. Sam, I'm sorry, I, I notice it's Sam a lot. But, um, but you know what's funny? Sam and I, when we adopted him, we, Sam and I went to war for, for two years. But now he's 16 and we're buddies. It's just amazing. It's just amazing. It's beautiful how God's worked. Yeah. Um, but but I, I've had to repent in front of my kids, and I want to be a good example of that. And so we don't have to be perfect to be ministers of the gospel, to lead people in our lives. And like I said, it's not complicated, guys. It's what I've been watching so many of you do this week. So many of you encouraging me as I'm up here preaching by simply being engaged and obviously hungry, Obviously, encourage me by lifting your hands and blessing me and praying for me. I can tell as I'm preaching some of you. I'm blessed just watching you guys minister to each other. It's been so great. to to watch the ministry happen, not primarily up here. I mean, we've been trying to minister to you, but the most important ministry has been going on among you guys in the dining hall and here and walked around camp. I've seen you praying for each other, blessing each other, and simply being an example. Don't minimize the power of being simply an engaged worshiper you know how many times I've gone into corporate worship with a cold heart, with a hard heart, with a distracted heart, and some brothers over here run into the throne. He's not even conscious of me, but he's saying to me as he does that, let's go, Tannis. Let's go. And I'm like, all right. And I follow him. And he doesn't even know what's happening, right? But sim- and the opposite happens, too. The opposite happens too, disengagement or distraction. Simply presence in an engaged way is a powerful ministry, just showing up. You know, my friend's sister died, and there was this pastor in his church who came from a really tough background, and and he didn't didn't talk fancy or anything, but Denny was maybe the most powerful minister in that church. And and Craig said that when my sister died, he was there, within an hour of that car wreck at our house. And he said all he did was knock on the door. Greg said, I opened the door and tears are streaming down Danny's face. And he said he just gave me a hug. He walked in the living room, he sat on the couch and he cried for about half an hour. He got up, he gave me a hug and he walked out. <laughs> Ministry's not complicated, people. It's not complicated, it's not easy. It's not easy, but it's never been complicated. It's being there. It's being a presence of an engaged follower of Jesus. It's being a man of the word who's able to say to people, listen to what God taught me this morning in the word. It's being a man who takes initiative and on the way home says, hey, let's shut the radio off and just let me read Galatians and we'll talk about it. Is that radical or is that just simple Christian life, right? It's somebody who turns the conversation about the weather at the Dodgers to, hey, how's your relationship with your wife doing? It's being willing to say hard things like, you know what, your, your sense of humor is just cutting people down. You cut people off, you don't listen well. It, it's, it's being able to rebuke as well as encourage and bless. It's being somebody who makes a difference, who's a crisis man. I'll never forget my friend, Ed was in a horrible car wreck. His van flipped over, we don't know how many times. He was ejected, ended up in a field. He became, he became conscious while he was being loaded into a helicopter. He looked on the freeway as he's being loaded in the helicopter, and his family's possessions are all over the freeway in Florida, in Gainesville. And at the moment, he didn't remember that his family had flown home, and he was driving the van back with all their stuff. So he sees a car seat. He sees stuffed animals on the road. He thinks his family's all dead. He's just, I mean, the physical stuff was horrible. But he ends up in a burn unit for three weeks in Gainesville. His wife flew down to be with him, but she had to get back to the kids. So I flew down, and I spent a week and a half with Eddie in a burn unit in Gainesville. There are few places on the planet worse than a burn unit. And Ed, Ed went in for a, a surgical cleansing on his leg, which got really messed up as he went through the window. He had terrible injuries. And Ed um, came out of that surgery. This is a great athlete. He was, he was on staff with He still is on staff with Athletes in Action. He came out of that surgery, and the doctor said, Ed, I'm sorry, we had to remove your calf muscle, and we had to remove your Achilles tendon and, and your heel. Life radically changed in that, in that moment. And so I went down to be with him. And, and he had all kinds of complications and difficulties. And I'm reading the Bible to him. And I'm, I'm trying to encourage him. And I'm praying for him. And he wants me moving the fan around all the time. He's real picky about things. And, and so, so I'm trying to help him. And for 10 days, I would go for a run every day and just try to clear my head. But then I'd, I'd spend the rest of the time in, in his room with him, sleeping on his couch. And it was brutal. It was brutal for him, way worse than me. But, but it was brutal for me, and I'm trying to b- love this brother well. And he had to go in for another surgery, just an exploratory, see if there was an infection, which there was last time. So we go into the surgery, and we're, we're in the anesthesia area. And Eddie's laying in this bed, and he looks up at me, and he's shaking from fear. Big, strong athlete, and he says, E, you've got to pray for him. I'm really scared. He didn't know if he was going to come out this time with no leg. And I looked at him. Guys, I felt, seldom felt this way in my life. I felt like I had nothing to give him. I, I felt like I'd, I'd read every scripture I could think of. I prayed everything I could pray. I've said everything I could pray. And I felt empty. Well, the whole time we were there, there was this African-American woman, probably mid-50s, it seemed her job was to pick up stuff after nurses and doctors just chucked it somewhere. It seemed like that was her whole job. She just kept cleaning up everywhere. And I didn't realize it, but when we were having this conversation, she was picking up something next to Ed's bed, and she heard the whole thing. And I'm standing there looking at my friend, and she's obviously just doing this, listening to this conversation. And when I didn't say anything for like 45 seconds, she stands up and says, you got a word for us? (laughs) And I said, actually, no. Do you? And she said, sure I do. And she grabs my friend's hand and she says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. She quotes all of Psalm 23. Lo, though I walk in King James. Lo, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. She finishes her prayer. She looks at my friend and she says, son, he's your shepherd. And he's not going to stop being your shepherd now. She lays hands on his head and prays this loud Holy Ghost prayer in that minute. And I look around and the doctors or nurses are going, here she goes again. (laughs) And they were kind of embarrassed. You think I was embarrassed? I don't know her name. I never saw her again. She's one of the first people I'm going to find in heaven. Ed thinks she was an angel. I don't. I, I think she was just a faithful minister of the gospel who was ready and ministered. She was probably the least educated person in the room, but the most godly. And the one who was the most powerful minister in the room. I, I was spent. And she stepped, it's like she came charging out of the bullpen like Eric Gagne used to, you know. And she comes running out of that bullpen and says, I got you. I'll take you. Sure I do. I think of her all the time. Guys, ministry is not complicated. It just takes a transformed life that believes you're a child of God, forgiven and justified in him that believes you're living with enough integrity for you to be able to say follow me as I follow Christ and then walking into those opportunities when God opens doors and is able to use you in powerful ways in the lives of other people starting with the people closest to you if you ain't getting it done at home you ain't getting it done it's got to start there don't be the man at church and a loser at home that's not how it works And so so let's grab a hold of this amazing privilege and see our lives make a difference so that when we get to heaven and hear well done, good and faithful servant and see a legacy, much of which we're not even aware of in this life, we'll be able to rejoice with the angels around the throne of Jesus. Lord, help us to be men who love you because you loved us first. Lord, help us to live in the freedom, your forgiveness, in Christ's righteousness, and our adoption as sons that He brings. Lord, give us freedom from sin that we know is true of us if we trusted Jesus. And please, Lord, make us ministers, ambassadors, priests to our God. Use us powerfully. Lord, if a if a group of men this size grabbed the hold of what we've been talking about this weekend, Satan is going down. And we're going to see a massive movement in this world. Lord, you turn the world upside down with a bunch of messed up disciples. With a church that started off way smaller than this. Lord, I pray we would go back into our families and friends and communities. And that you'd use us in powerful ways for the glory of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.